Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would teach us uh, today and continually how to worship you through our act of giving. Lord, we know that this is a this is the method you have chosen to uh, expand your kingdom through the local church, and we know that these there are many things that are we are in need of, and yet, Lord, it is not because of our giving, but because of your blessing, that your kingdom expands and grows. Lord, we worship you in our in our offering, and we pray this uh, would be the method by which you. You grow this church, and you grow our influence, and you grow our witness to this world. Lord, it's in your precious and holy Son's name. Amen. myself on. Good to see you. Uh, if you have your Bibles, get them out. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, that's where we'll be this morning. Uh, before we get started, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your many uh, abundant blessings, your mercies, and, and the things that remind us of the work of your son Jesus our desperate need for him. Lord, we thank you for your spirit. You sent your spirit to be uh, dwelling in us, to be a power for us to do the things that you have called us to do. We ask that your spirit would be present in our midst today, not that your spirit is not here, but that we might be aware of your spirit. We might see and feel and hear the prompting and the moving. Lord, I thank you for the witnesses of Luke and Peter and the rest of the apostles that we will read about today as, uh, as stories that we might learn from and grow from. Lord, it's in your precious and holy son's name that we do pray. 
Amen. Luke, not Luke, Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. If you have your Bibles again, you can turn there and follow along. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, they being the apostles. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared on them and rested on each of them, each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Gentiles? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and uh, Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and uh, Phrygia, I got that, and Pamphylia and Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and, various, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy and all, and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams, even on the male servants and the female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Spirit, again, we entreat you to come into our midst and teach us. Amen. First, groundwork. In the first part of Acts 1, the first 11 verses, what we looked at last, last Sunday, 
we, or I, 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 I hypothesized or I suggested that Luke is introducing us to the, the purpose or maybe even the outline of what the book of Acts is going to be. We see it in first in verse 5 when Jesus tells his disciples before the story of the Acts of the Apostles actually begins, he tells his apostles, he says, For you were baptized, you uh, you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And, I, and my suggestion is, is for Luke, this is his thesis statement. This is the point or the purpose of the book of Acts. He says, my first book is about Jesus, and now my second book is going to be about the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And this is really what we will see as we go through the book of Acts. And again, I said last week, I'll say it again, that, that I think the, the title, the Acts of the Apostles, is probably incorrect. It should rather be the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because that's what we will see happening, is that the Holy Spirit will move and work and empower the apostles to do something. Well, what is that something? That's something we find in verse 8. The Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what happens as we study through the book of Acts, if, you would, if we would begin a new series uh, this Sunday on going through the book of Acts, which we're not going to do, but we would find that that is exactly how the story unfolds. The book of Acts unfolds in this way. Peter, in the first sermon, he's in Jerusalem. He preaches this sermon. 3,000 people are baptized into Jesus. Pretty soon the, the story shifts from Jerusalem to Judea. There's a little, there's a little uh, tension, and so it kind of gets, they kind of get pushed out by the working of God to Judea. And then pretty soon they're in Samaria, which is a wider region. And then at the end of the book of Acts is Paul. In Rome, which for Luke is symbolic of the gospel going to the ends of the earth. This is what the book of Acts is. It can be wrapped up really in this one verse. This happens because the Holy Spirit has come. This happens because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is really the mission of the book of Acts. And it's the mission of all of us as well. I say all this to then compare what we see in, in chapter 1 to what we see here at the end of what we read in chapter 2, which is the first part of Peter's first sermon. He quotes a passage from Joel, and he says, In the last days, the Spirit of God is going to be poured out on all flesh. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come and dwell on somebody temporarily, and then they would it would leave them. Samson in the book of Judges has many, most of, not all of Samson's feats of strength happen this way, but most of the times when Samson does something really amazing and powerful, he does so because the Spirit of God fell upon him and he had the strength to, to carry out this task, namely, in, in every single one of those situations, killing a bunch of Philistines. David, we are, we are told David, the Spirit of God falls upon David and he, and he wins battles and defeats enemies and establishes Israel as a nation. Again and again in the Old Testament we see particular moments of this 
spirit dwelling with man. But Joel tells us in the Old Testament, Joel tells us, look, in the last times, in the end days, at the, at the conclusion of God's, God's events on earth, God's acting in the earth, the Spirit is going to come, is going to dwell on all people, namely those who are God's people, permanently. But what is going to happen? Well, they're going to prophesy, and they're going to have visions and dream dreams and It's not just going to be the spiritual elite, but it's going to be the servants, the male servants and the female servants, and they will prophesy. They're going to do do wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Now, what might be a little bit confusing about this particular verse is in verse 19b to 21, 19b, 20, and 21. These are still things yet to come. This is still end-time prophecy, but... But we're kind of living in these last days, these end time things, and we see the manifestation of prophecy, visions, dreams. Where do we see them? Well, we see them uh, shown to us in the book of Acts. So again, Luke says, uh, verse 5 of chapter 1, the story that I'm about to tell you is about the Holy Spirit. Then in verse 8, he says, what is the Holy Spirit going to do? He's going to empower the followers of God, the followers of Jesus, to witness to the whole of the earth. And then he says, how is that going to happen? Well, it happens through prophecy, visions, dreams. I think once again, Luke still hasn't even got into the story yet, and he is He has laid out for us a picture of what we're about to see so that when we read the stories of people doing amazing and powerful things, we never confuse it with the people, but rather recognize that it's the Holy Spirit. And so when we get to the end of the book of Acts, when the when the the vocal telling of this happened because of the spirit sort of fades we still know this happens because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, very typically, I start my sermons at the beginning of the passage, and I work through just as the passage tells us, but there's a reason why I need to start at the end, because if we don't, we run a dangerous uh, path to misunderstand the point of this story. The point or the purpose of the story, every passage of Scripture has a main point. And yes, many passages of Scripture have side points or subplots, if you will, that matter and that we can think about and study and we can look at them. And that's good and great and it's it's something that we should do. But if we lose sight of the main point of the story, we very easily can make something that is not supposed to be of the story that we're reading. The book of Acts is not prescriptive. We should not read the book of Acts with prescription lenses. We should read the book of Acts with description lenses. Okay? I don't mean go to your eye doctor and get prescription lenses, reading glasses. I'm saying when we read the book of Acts, what we're doing is we're not reading stories that are telling us This is how everything should be. 
but rather this is how it was. These are narratives. These are stories. When we go to Romans, excuse me, when we go back to Romans, Paul tells us to do stuff. That's that's prescriptive. That means, excuse me, that means we should do those things that he says. When he says, when when, when Jesus says, hey, love one another in, in the Gospels, that's, that's actually something that he is commanding us to do. That's prescriptive. That's something that we should go out and do. But, but in, in the book of Acts, we read these stories and we observe these stories. And what we then do to learn from the stories is we find principles that are applied in the stories. Now, how do we know what principles to apply? And the reason why I'm telling you this is really the first couple verses here. And it says, and the Pentecost happens, the Spirit falls upon them, and then they speak in tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. And there are many people in the, in the, in the church today, Big C Church today, the, the, the global church today, that would say that, that the sign, the sign of the Holy Spirit in your life is speaking in tongues. And they turn to passages just like this, which is a misrepresentation, a, a, a false exegesis of this verse. That's not what we're being told. We're being shown that this was, this was what happened when the Spirit first came. Now, how do we know how to apply this principle into our lives? Well, we look at the rest of the Bible. We must take the whole counsel of God. And if you study through the book of Acts, you, can, you realize that there are many times when the Spirit's action does result in somebody speaking a language that they don't normally speak. So we might go, well, maybe that's a sign. Well, but then we have to look at the whole counsel of God. We've got to look at all of Scripture. And, and Paul in Corinthians, he warns us, hey, speaking in tongues is actually the least. It's the least of the gifts of the Spirit. So let us not misinterpret the purpose of this passage. What is the purpose of this passage then? Well, that's why we started at the end. The purpose of this passage is to answer the question, what does this mean? What does this mean? Well, this means that the Spirit of God is going to descend upon His people. He's going to descend upon His followers. He's going to give them the strength to be witnesses in the community, to be witnesses from Jerusalem, Sterling, to the ends of the earth. And it's going to do so by giving attention to the apostles or the disciples to follow and by giving the strength to proclaim the gospel. The Spirit of God has a role to play within creation, has a role to play within the Godhead, the, the, within the Trinity, each person of the Trinity, while they're the same in substance and equal in power and glory, they are, they are different in their tasks. Jesus, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, His task was to come to earth, suffer and die under his very creation, and raise from the dead. That was the, that was the son's job, not the father's nor the spirit's. The spirit's job is to bear witness to the world, to creation, about what Jesus did. Is to give power to the people who follow after Jesus to proclaim the gospel message. Because, like we've been saying the last couple weeks, the gospel message is, by definition, mobile. It's moving. It's proclamation. So what is the point of this story? The point of this story is to demonstrate one of the many, many, many times that the Spirit 
comes upon the people of God and gives them attention-grabbing information from the people who are around so that they can proclaim or witness this message. That's the point. So let's look at the let's look at the passage. Let's see how this plays out. Verse one says, "When the day of Pentecost arrived, Pentecost is the Greek name for the feast of weeks in the Old Testament." Okay, it happens fifty days after Passover. Penta means fifty. Fifty days after Passover, this is when this happens. So Jesus rose fifty days later. Forty days later, he ascends into heaven. Jesus rises from the dead. Forty days later. He ascends into heaven. Ten days later, the Spirit of God descends upon the apostles. This matters to us because this gives us a clue to who is going to be around. Now, in Jerusalem, so in the Old Testament, we read stories about the Assyrians and the Babylonians conquering the people of Israel because of their sinfulness, and they they disperse them all over the world. The Assyrians, they send the, the Israelites all over the world. So there's there are Jewish people, there are there are descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob living in Rome and Asia and Africa, all over the known world. There are Jews. Now, Cyrus, king of Persia, he sends most of them back. Some of them go back. Some of them stay at home. And, and what happens over the course of the next couple hundred years is that there's kind of this very slow migration back to Jerusalem. People who have been living in places like Rome or Asia or Africa have been living there for a number of generations, but eventually feel this kind of desire to go back to the homeland. And so they travel back to the homeland and they, they dwell there. Then there are other people who come into town from a great distance who still live in places like Rome and Asia and Africa. But they travel to Jerusalem because they're called to by the Old Testament. The Old Testament says come together for Passover and and celebrate this festival together. But but the realization is it's expensive to travel in the ancient world. It's difficult to travel in the ancient world. And it takes a long time to travel in the ancient world. So most of the time, if you travel to Jerusalem from your home in Rome, say, you were only going to do it maybe once, twice, three times in your whole entire life. And so you're going to make it count. And so you usually stayed in Jerusalem from Passover to Pentecost. You get two festivals for the price of one. So there's all these people from all over the world, and all of them, there's a realization, all of them speak Greek because of Alexander the Great, but not all of them speak Greek as their native language. It's like many people in the world can speak English, but it's not necessarily their first language. This is the same thing that happens, and this is the setting where this event will take place. Lots of people from all over the world speaking many different languages with, with, yes, a united language, but we'll see that that won't really matter. And then all of a sudden, this great rushing wind. In the Old Testament, the spirit, that we, the word we translate to spirit, meaning like the spirit of God or the spirit of person, is, is ruach, which means wind or breath. Its base, its base word is wind or breath. In the New Testament, it's pneuma. You, you want to know what it means? Its, it's base word is wind or breath. Luke goes, and there's this mighty rushing spirit comes upon the people, the disciples, the apostles. Was this something that was noticeable or not noticeable? You know, is it just a, is it just a light 
spring breeze. No, this is this is attention grabbing, right? We see a little bit later that that the people dwelling in Jerusalem, the Jerusalem Jews from all these nations all over under heaven, they heard this sound and they went, what was that? We should go investigate the original gawkers. They heard a sound and they went, oh, what, what was that? I'm curious. What was it was a new sound, a unique sound, and it was something that drew their attention to particular people. Now, the other thing that happened was there's some fire. Some fire resting upon the apostles to give a, a visible sign that this great, powerful noise that just happened wasn't just some random passing storm that blew through, but it was something that brought something new into creation, namely the Spirit of God to land and rest upon the disciples of God permanently. So they come together. Attention has been grabbed, but not quite fully. Then they start speaking in tongues. This fancy, scary thing that we talk about in the church, speaking in tongues. I bet you many of you want answers. I got none. I don't get it. I don't understand it. Nor do I really care because the point is not the tongues. The point is the power of the Spirit to proclaim the gospel message. The Spirit comes in this great rushing wind and they speak in these tongue, these languages that they don't clearly shouldn't know. And it surprises people who hear this. Oh, they're speaking in my own language. Aren't all these people Galileans? I don't know how they know they're Galileans, but they know they're Galileans. And they're like, what? I don't understand. Something strange is happening, which is the only thing that really takes, the only thing it really takes to get our attention. What is happening? I don't understand. Let me pay attention. And so they do. They pay attention and they hear in their own language. And there's two types of people in the audience. They're the people who hear and they're the people who don't. It's very important that we take note of this. Because some people are like, oh man, isn't it amazing that these people are speaking in my language yet how do they know my language? And how, how, is this, how is this happening? How is it that there are more different, unique languages being spoken by less than that amount of people? Oh, it's very confusing. It's very strange. It's very unusual. And it's really grasped my attention. How are they speaking in my language? And then there are some who go, wait, no, they're drunk. We'll find Peter he, he rebukes this idea. He says, listen, they're not drunk. It's nine in the morning. Now, many of us would go, I know plenty of drunks who are drunk at nine in the morning. This is a different time. They don't have three meals a day. They have one, and it's always in the evening. If a person is a drunkard, they are a drunkard in the evening. This is the only time that they will eat and drink. And alcohol is expensive. And most people only have enough money for one meal a day. There's much, many less people who are chronically alcoholics in the ancient world. And Peter addresses this. He says, listen, they're not drunk. It's nine in the morning. Now the question is, is why, do these people, why are these people not amazed? Why are these people not amazed? Galileans speaking languages of who knows how many different people. 
It's because they don't recognize it. They don't hear it. I mean, you, you anybody, anybody speak another language? Anybody speak Spanish or, or know Spanish? Or, anybody ever hear somebody? If we all, none of you raise your hand, so so I'm going to assume that none of you know how to speak Spanish or none of you understand. Maybe a few words here and there. Do you recognize when somebody's speaking Spanish in your midst, even if you don't speak it? Yeah, because there are cadences and there's there's patterns to language that go across all languages. You recognize even if somebody's speaking Mandarin or 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 or, or German or anything, you recognize oh, that's a language. These people are so, they're so blind, they're so deaf to it that they don't even hear the language. And, and all the people who are around them who are going, he's, he's speaking my language. They're going, no, he's not. Not only do they not hear it, but they're denying that all these other people who are attesting to this aren't hearing. They're denying this. They're denying the work of the Spirit. This is how life works. There are going to be people who will hear the voice of God through your voice. But there's also people who will not hear the voice of God through your voice. And Peter stands up. We assume that they're outside because this audience is at least 3,000 people. He stands up and he starts to speak. He says, men of, Ga- men of Judah, and all you who dwell in, in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's nine in the morning. It's the third hour. It's just a different way of saying it. They're not drunk. Paul, or Peter addresses, excuse me, Peter addresses two questions. First question he addresses is the foolish question. These people are drunk. It's the foolish statement. Are filled with new wine. He says, no, they're not. Don't be foolish. And then he answers the second, the first question in order, but he answers it second. What does this mean? Why is this thing happening? What should we take from the events that are taking place? Why did this great rushing wind happen? Why is it that there's fire dancing on these people's heads? Why is it that these people from Galilee are speaking languages that they've probably never heard before? Why does this matter? And Peter answers, so that you might hear and be saved. If you study the book of Acts, which again, I said this last week, I'll say it again. If you study the book of Acts, one thing that you will find, one thing that you will find is that the Spirit does many spectacular things. And every single time that the Spirit does a spectacular thing through one of the apostles or the disciples to follow, people look every time. Peter, he, he heals a man, and the whole city notices. Paul, he's, he, he, he speaks the message and the people get really mad at him. And they stone him to death, right? At least they think he's dead. They stone him to death and they leave him to die. And what does he do? He gets up, he comes back into the city and, and that's not because Peter is strong, that's because the spirit is strong and you know what happens? Focus. People's attention is grabbed. And every single time that happens, every single time that happens, you know what else happens? 
the message of Jesus is proclaimed. The Spirit doesn't act just to be fancy. The Spirit acts because the Spirit has one task, to be the power of the witness to all of the earth. Isn't that fantastic? Maybe you ask the question, why? Why is it fantastic? Anybody remember who Peter is? Peter is this bold, speak-before-you-talk guy, right? Jesus is like, hey, who am I? You're the Christ. And he's the guy who answers, you're the Christ. Woo! Jesus is like, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die. He's like, no, you're not. Peter, Satan, get behind me, Jesus says. Peter is this, he's, he's bold, but his boldness is misplaced. He's, he's confident, but his confidence is misplaced. He's got, all these, he's got all these characteristics, and all these characteristics, what they end up doing is they make him fall on his face. I don't know this man. I don't know this man. I do not know this man. Isn't it amazing that Peter, a, a jar of clay, to borrow Paul's words in Corinthians, this fragile misguided, bold man. Isn't it amazing that he can so powerfully speak? He quotes Joel. Who knows how he quotes Joel? Peter's a fisherman. Joel's not like this really well-known prophet. It's not like Isaiah or Hosea. What about me? What about you? Oh, man. I'm, I'm, I'm not very smart. I don't know my Bible very well. I'm not, I'm not even bold like Peter was. I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty broken vessel. The promise of God is that the Spirit permanently dwells on all who call upon Jesus as Lord and Savior. The power that is dwelt in Peter dwells in me. The reason why it's so spectacular that the Spirit of God is now with us is because we recognize our own failings. We recognize our own, our own misguided, misdirected confidence and boldness. And we learn to place our trust Peter preaches a sermon. The Spirit of God comes upon Peter. The Spirit of God has come upon us. If you ever wonder how, how can I go out, well, you can't. But the Spirit does. The Spirit will grab the attention of those whom He wants you to speak to. And then the Spirit will give you the strength to speak. Give you the strength to speak the gospel message, the truth that is found in it. If we keep going, we're going to conclude with this. We see what Peter says. He starts this sermon. He quotes, the Spirit has come. And he ends in verse 21. It says, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord, shall be saved. And he shows us how this happens. He says, men of Israel. 
Verse 22, men of Israel, these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up. Losing, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning this, I saw the Lord always before me, and he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, he goes on, brothers, I may say to you with confidence that the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried in his tomb is with, with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up and that we all are witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he was poured out that this, he was poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God was made, has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Let's pray. Lord, Lord God, our Father in heaven, You have revealed yourself to be the God that saves. You showed yourself in the Old Testament to be a God who continuously sought and fought for your chosen people. And as David says in the Psalms so many times, that you, you are my refuge, you are my strength, even when I was not worthy of it. Lord, then you sent your son to be the sacrifice necessary to save us from our iniquities, to save us from our transgressions. And that he did not die needlessly, nor die permanently, but died and raised. The death had no hold or bond on him. Because your purpose, your ways are so great and perfect. 
that his life here on this earth was not a life worthy of death. It's not a life worthy of punishment as ours is. But he went to the cross freely. He went to the cross purposefully according to your definite plan, according to the foreknowledge. He rose from the dead to free this earth from the bondage that it has to death and destruction, to sin and to corruption. Lord, you protected your son Jesus so that he might protect us. Lord, as we think about the words Peter spoke here at Pentecost, we know that we are part of the same crowd that hears this sermon preached. That we, in the same way that the scribes and the Pharisees and the crowds at Jesus' crucifixion shouted crucify, we know that we are part of that same crowd. We thank you that your son Jesus came to this earth to freely give himself for each and every one of us who calls upon his name as Lord and Savior. Lord, and this message is too good to hold in. It's too much to stay where it is. Lord, let it not be just simply knowledge to us, but it would be a message that pours forth from us because we are so filled with joy and gladness and happiness because of its truth. Lord, help it to pour forth from us to those who are around us. Lord, but not in our strength, but in the strength of your spirit. The spirit that you poured out at Pentecost and continue to pour out on each and every one who calls upon Jesus to be the power that we need to proclaim this message to those who have not yet heard it. And we, we pray, Lord God, that we would be simple instruments in your hands. That those who are around us would be, would be caught by that spirit. That their attention might be turned to our voices because of the message because of the power of your spirit that we might pour forth the gospel truth so that your kingdom might come and grow. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for this. We thank you for your son. We thank you for your spirit. It's in your precious and holy son's name. Amen.